Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. Effectively, this is part two of what we shared last week uh, out of Romans 12, where I feel that the Lord is calling us to be a different kind of community, a community that loves each other, but as well as that, in a few verses' time, we'll see also loves our enemies. Now, I know one in this place, no one here has an enemy. You just have people you don't prefer. <laughs> but everything that Paul is writing about is encouraging us to be a different community. How we love each other, how we love those external to us, it's so different to the rest of the world. And this morning we're going to move into new territory as we look at verse 10. And I want to say this. This is not about small groups. This is about connect groups. <laughs> I'm sorry, I found that quite funny. Um, don't worry about me. This isn't about just joining a connect group. This is about joining the family of God. And that is difficult. I want to say this this morning. This is one of those sermons where you know you need it, but maybe you don't want it. It's kind of like that piece of broccoli or broccoli, whatever it is you've got, the green thing on your plate. And you're just kind of kicking it around, but you know at some point you're going to have to eat it or you won't get dessert. <laughs> this is one of those sermons. You're going to have to just eat the broccoli this morning. And it will do you well, but it won't be easy. Good morning and welcome to church. Let's lock the doors. Praise God. If you've got a Bible, open it with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to read this large chunk of verses that I felt God spoke to me about late last year. I do want to say this. I just want to be careful. I don't want to use only preacher speak. When I say God speaks to me, that is not an audible voice is an internal unction of the Holy Spirit, a leading and a guiding, which comes predominantly by His Word. I just want to help someone out with that. Um, sometimes we get caught up in thinking, oh, I hear a booming voice every other week at church. I do not. Um, but He leads by His Word. Romans 12, verse 10. We covered the first bit, our verse line, we covered that last week. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't, we will explain that. At some point, it sounds kind of macabre, but don't worry about it. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. In those handful of verses, Paul uses 22 present tense imperatives. Present tense continuous imperatives. For all you English teachers, good morning to you. A present tense continuous imperative is basically, you don't do these things once, you continually do them. And I know no one would ever think to themselves that they loved someone in 1996 and that's good enough. Love must be sincere. It must continue, day in, day out. I remember when our youngest, Emerson, came to kindy for the first time and he was so pumped about going to kindy, he was so excited, so cute. He came home from his first day, wow, dad, kindy was so great and I don't think I ever need to go back. <laughs> oh no, buddy, you've you got you to go back again and again and again. And that's what it means to continually live this way, is Paul doesn't say, love sincerely once, honour one another once, be devoted once, no, continually. And once again in these verses, in verse 10, which we're unpacking this morning, be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness, honour one another above yourselves, we see that funny little Greek word again, alelon. Alelon means one another, used over a hundred times in the New Testament, 59 times again as an imperative. Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, be with one another, help one another, constantly, 59 times. You just can't get past it. He moves us into brand new territory this morning. Last week, he uses the term, let your love be sincere. He talks about the agape love. Remember, a word is very rarely used in the ancient Greek culture of that time, only used 19 times in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Paul alone uses that agape love 75 times, talking about the supernatural divine love of the Father, the, the love that is almost impossible to define. That's the kind of love he starts with in verse 9. But verse 10, he says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness. The first kind of love he mentions there is a family kind of love. The wording there is Philadelphia, which you would all know because of the cream cheese. Yeah, that's right. There's a particular cream cheese brand, which is quite delicious with some crackers. <laughs> I'm really glad Liz is really laughing over here. I appreciate that. Also known as the, the city in America, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, apparently. I'm not sure if it's been backed up by hard evidence. I'm pretty sure it hasn't. But Philadelphia is this brotherly kind of love. Be devoted to one another with a brotherly kind of love. But there's a funny little word that happens again. Be devoted to each other. In another translation, it might say, be affectionate to each other. And he uses part of that same word, not Philadelphia. This time he says, philo storge. Kind of the same family kind of love, but storge is an intense, affectioning, cherishing kind of love. In fact, translators would tell us it is best defined as this affection between a parent and an infant. And it's a reciprocal kind of love, from an infant to a parent. But some commentators would say this word in particular would talk about the fierce kind of love that a mum has for her infant child. Now, let me help you with this. If in this place you are a teacher, a sports coach, 
something else in authority, I can tell you this right now. If Mama Bear's coming for you, you better watch out. Because if Mama Bear is rolling up to the parent-teacher interview, you better brace yourself. If Mama Bear is coming up because little Johnny didn't make the squad, here comes Mama Bear. You better hope you get Dad. All right, Dad's cool, don't worry, I know he's going to try a bit harder. Mama Bear, you put my boy, you, you, you know how it works. There is an intense kind of love that is being talked about in the word philostorge. Here is the hard bit. Do we have that same fearness? Fiercenessness. Well, oh, that's a tough one. Do we have that same kind of fierce love with the people in your aisle? The answer with your silence is probably maybe not yet. The hard bit about the New Testament writing is that everything they're writing about, they are using family examples. They are writing to the brethren, to their brothers, their sisters in faith. In fact, the dominant theme of the New Testament writers is that they are writing to the family of God. And that is what we become. When we come to faith in Jesus, we instantly join the family of God. That is who we become. The hardest thing for us in our Western individualistic culture is to realize that this big thing you're a part of is in fact a family. And here is the tough thing about family. It's family. If you ever move house, you text a bunch of friends, you try and jazz up the text with saying you're going to have some good times. Hey, come on out. Come, come when you want, come when you can. Just do whatever you can, Have a couple hours, have some pizza, hang out, move some couches. You know, and you're kind of like, cool, it's just my friend, I will. If you're family, be here at eight. <laughs> How? No, no, be here at eight. Everyone else gets this lovely, flowery invitation. Not if you're family. You just got to be there on time. And this is what makes family so difficult. The fact of the matter is, is that you don't get pure independence. You don't get much privacy. And at the end of the day, your decisions affect those who are in your family. That becomes really difficult. But remember, the dominant theme of Scripture is that we would behave and live as a special family of God. And that is what He's called us to. And perhaps even the privacy thing is one of the more difficult things. We like our privacy. We like our individual world, our own private decision-making. In fact, one of the cultural studies I did in this is the fact that we have what they call decision-making buffers in our lives, which means I'm able to make a decision without it really affecting you. But that's not how family works. Family works that I make decisions but my decisions also eventually affect you. And this is what makes us different to any kind of club or interest group. There is a total lack of privacy. I mean, think about it like this, you know. If, you're in the, if you join a lawn bowls club, you know, or, or even um, the, the bird watching association, if there is one. If you're in one, fantastic. You know, and you're there and you're sitting there with your friend, but you're there because your interest is birds. Don't know why, but you have an interest in birds. You see birds come by. Look, a centipede mayor, a pygmy bat hound, you know. 
Oh, the uh, master lapwing, that's a beautiful bird. You know, and, and you see these birds come by and then, wow, behold the birds. And you turn to the person with you. How are you going with your temper? You're still being generous at church? I've noticed you've stopped turning up. And if, you, if someone says that, you go, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm here for the birds. I'm here to watch the cine pig mayor and the pygmy bat hound. Here they come. There's a level of privacy we have when we join an interest group where you're allowed to ask certain things, but you really, it's not cool to ask those deeper kind of things. Not so with the family of God. In fact, when you enter the family of God and you join this community, you join a community of faith, it ends up being that your privacy goes away a little bit. But it's actually a good thing for you. And think about it like this. In a family, people can say very offensive things. But you're going to see him in a week again or the next day. There's nowhere else to go. Paul's writing this to the Roman church. There wasn't multiple churches to attend. There wasn't a live stream. It was like, oh, that's so offensive. Where are you going to go, bro? You can drive up to Ephesus. It's an 18-day boat ride. You're stuck in Rome. This is the church you're a part of, but this is the family of God. And I want to be very honest with you, the privacy bit is one of the hardest pieces to get over because when you join connected small groups, you're a little bit closer, you lose a little bit of your privacy, but that is a very healthy thing. The only group in your house that demands privacy is teenagers. Because apparently... When they're chatting to people, they're talking to no one. At all times, they're doing nothing. And they were at school all day and did nothing at all. I don't know what's happening to them. But they are merely existing as an amoeba, a single-celled organism. (laughs) From what I've heard. Can I tell you, there's no spiritual teenagers in the family of God. There are infants and there are those who are growing up into maturity. If you want your privacy... You're going to be challenged and truncated in your growth. Because let me be honest, for the most part, we stick to people who are like us and we like and have the same interests. The family of God, you don't get to choose them. But that is the beautiful thing. When you encounter people who are not like you, you might actually learn something and grow. In fact, this is the power of marriage, I believe. Marriage would have to be one of the most transformative experiences that God has gifted us with. Because you're with someone who isn't you. (laughs) Brilliant, I know. (laughs) But this is how we change. Because if if they only ever agree with you, and only ever tell you never change, then firstly, I think you're making them up. But secondly, that's the power to change, is when someone is not like you. Yesterday, our ceiling fan broke. It's wired in and stopped working. And I was convinced that... um, I needed to call an electrician. Beck was convinced we just needed to change the battery on the remote, which, you know, I'm responsible for those worky things. Anyway, changed the battery, bought a screwdriver set, changed that, put the battery in there, turned it on, and as it turned out, it was the battery in the remote. It works fine. <laughs> now, it was a very weird emotional experience for me <laughs> to approach her and just say, I was wrong. You are right. My heart wasn't involved. And it was a weird emotion. I woke up this morning feeling weird about it because I thought, I'm glad the fan works. 
It saved me $200, but I don't like being wrong. Very weird emotion. Still working it through, getting prayer. Can I tell you, someone else who has a different way of seeing things and opinion and different life experiences, they are good for you. If we only stay in our small, little, tiny worlds with people that like us and we like, we shrink down with who we are. There's a lack of privacy, there's a lack of independence, there's a a lack of freewheeling decision-making, but there is also incredible, radical growth that takes place in your life. The hard bit for us is that we probably don't like the vulnerability of that. I understand that. Again, remember today I said it's about eating your broccoli, okay? This is all good greens for us. But we don't like the vulnerability. And I would say to you, that's, that's actually fair enough. If I surveyed the room, there's a chance you've been hurt before in church or by a friend or in a small group or you turned up and someone didn't offer you chocolates or something like that or I don't know. Like, there's all kinds of reasons for, for things happening and we, we don't always like the, the vulnerability. But can I tell you, it's also the only way to actually live is by taking the risk actually with your heart. Let me say it better than I can with the words of C.S. Lewis. In fact, he defines this incredibly powerfully. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is ultimately to be vulnerable. To love is ultimately to be vulnerable. I've talked many times about our our beautiful little labradoodle, Sonny. Uh, Turns out he was a Christian. Last week or so, he's backslidden. Just keep an eye out on Gumtree. And I was thinking about it this past week, you know, like for a Labrador lap best, you get about 12 to 14 years out of them and then they die, you know. I thought, that's going to be really sad. And I kind of thought, we didn't really think about that before we bought him. And then if he goes, well, I'll replace him, get another one. And, and then, you know, you could do this multiple times. I hear cat people are very similar. No evidence for that kind of love, though. When you think about it, like, you buy one, you sign yourself up to be sad in 14 years. (laughs) It's kind of a bit macabre when you put it like that. I should have checked this with you, don't worry, praise God. Um, But then you think about it, like, knowing that's going to come, like, should you not buy one? But if you're a dog lover, you're like, no, but I want to. Why? Because it's the risk of love. There's a risk and there's a vulnerability of exposing your heart to something with the potential for sadness. 
But the only way to not do that and live a completely safe life is by never loving anything, wrap yourself up in little luxuries, little private hobbies, and you will shrink and be a small person. Now, let me expand this beyond just dogs. That's a bit silly. But you have to commit to relationships that actually make you vulnerable, open you up to being hurt, open you up to at some point being sad. But the exponential return in your life is far greater because we are created to love with larger capacity than what we realize. When you join the family of God, Paul is saying you enter the family of God, you don't just coexist with others, you now sit with brothers and sisters and there is a fierce affection for each other where you fight for each other but the risk is that you will at some point be hurt but it's worth the risk our capacity to love is in fact exponential i know i've shared this before but uh, i remember vividly you know the day that coop was born our eldest son i think everybody you know you, you very clearly remember the birth of your first kid the ones after that you they kind of just arrived. Don't worry about it. But I remember it vividly, you know, vividly. And, and I remember just seeing him. I remember those first few years. You start to think to yourself, man, I, I just cannot love anything more than you. Like, you have my entire heart. You know, obviously you're married and they have your heart as well. But, you know, when you see your little kid, you know, running around, you just think to yourself, man, I love you more than anything else in the entire world. And, and then you have another one. And the other one appears. And then you look at that one and you go, wow, you've got some serious ground to make up. <laughs> We've had 18 months of great times. You know, get to work, kid. No, that's not what happens. You know what happens? Is the love you have for your first child, it doesn't cut in half. And now you both have got half of my love. It doubles exponentially. And then if you have more kids, it doubles and it doubles and it doubles again. And then next thing you know, you're driving a Kia Carnival. And um, great, good on you. It's the modern day Tarago. Um, but something happens in us exponentially. Why is that? Because we begin to tap into a supernatural love. We begin to experience what it means to exponentially love more people. Can I tell you, your capacity to love people is far greater than what you think. It is exponential. No one can force you to do it, but when you actually grow in your capacity to love, the more of the Father's love you experience, the more of the family love you experience, you realize you can love more people than what you realize. And perhaps the problem with our world is we don't. We think our capacity is so small. Paul is saying, love the brothers, love your sisters with this exponential kind of love, this kind of fierce, special kind of love. Then he says this really powerful line, honour one another above yourselves. Honour one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness and then honour one another above yourselves. When you read that initially, you kind of look at that and you go, okay, honouring one another. To me, you know, some translations say prefer one another above yourselves. That's an, that's an okay way of looking at it. But when I think about preferring someone else, for the most part, I kind of think about just giving way. You know, walking through a door, no, please, I prefer you, you go. You know, you're both at church, so no one's walking through the door. No, you go, no, you go, just get in, please. You know, <laughs> you know it's just like this, this preferring the other. You know, it's, you're giving way in traffic. And, you know, I want to applaud you for giving way, at least in these grounds. When you're in Flockton Street, do what you want, but really applaud how nice you are with each other. 
But it, it kind of comes across as honor one another above yourselves, preferring the other one. It's a very weird word, honor. It's only used once in the New Testament. But the word there for honor actually means to take the lead. To take the lead with other people above yourself. You know what I think it actually means? And look, this is my translation. To take the lead means that you need to be the first one to move in relationships. It actually means you need to be the first one to forgive, to initiate contact, to actually let go. Would you be the first to move? Because in being the first to move, you are actually honoring someone else above yourself rather than waiting for them to initiate the restoration. Can I tell you, when we take the lead in this way, we're acting exactly like Jesus has called us to live. In fact, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the great initiator. Honor one another above yourselves. Take the lead. If something happens, take the lead. Seek restoration. Seek clarity. Seek forgiveness. And don't wait for the other person. But hold on a second. If, if I don't wait and they don't wait, well, who's going to go first? Well, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we honor people by taking the lead, taking the initiative, forgiving even before they've come to apologize. Imagine being in that kind of community. Recently, I caught up with a friend and, you know, a few months ago, you know, there's some things around church and, you know, there's always miscommunications or reasons or, and all kinds of things. And this is just part of having a church community. I mean, we say this all the time, there's no perfect church. As soon as you find one, let me know. I'd love to go there. As soon as we've got people in here, we're imperfect. But there are always opportunities to carry things in your heart. In this one case, definitely I could see it from one angle, both angles, and actually, you know what, there's a reason here. You know, you could definitely carry that. And this person said the most profoundly mature Christian thing I think I've ever heard. She said, you know what, it wasn't great, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he is my brother, and that settles it. He is my brother, and that settles it. Can you imagine a family of God that actually says to each other, yes, that wasn't right. Yes, that was annoying. Yes, that was irritating. Yes, that didn't go the way I thought, or whatever it may be. But the Lord says, you know what? They are your brother and that settles it. I want to be in a church like that. I want to be in a church that loves like a family, that we give up some of our privacy, some of our independence, but that we so fiercely love each other that we don't wait for the other person to make everything right and we take the lead and say, well, this is how family works. Team, come and join me. If you've read any of the Bible, you'd probably look at it and kind of go, wow, I love how the New Testament talks about family so well. Because if you read the Old Testament, you'd probably go, I reckon the Old Testament is a great big story of terrible families. I mean, it doesn't have a good track record. It's kind of really early on. Cain and Abel. Great family, that one. That's okay, it gets better. Isaac and Ishmael. Not great. 
moves on. Rachel and Leah. It's pretty bad. Joseph? Oh, Joseph. I always think, why did he tell him the dream, man? (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Keep a dream in your heart. David kept out in the field. His dad didn't even recognize him. Are these all your kids? Yeah. Oh, oh, how could I forget? Must be sitting in the Kia Carnival. (laughs) David has kids, Amnon, Abimelech. Story of the Bible is a story, the story of the Old Testament, is a story of completely broken, messed up family. What is the story of the New Testament? Ah, very good question. The story of the New Testament is a restored family of God. You see, God's original intent was that actually in the context of family, large ring family, that the world would be changed and transformed. In fact, that's what the entire Old Testament in my mind is predominantly about. And so Jesus comes in Mark chapter 3 and he's performing miracles and then people are turning up at the house back and forward. Hey, your mum and dad, your, your mum and your, and your brothers and your sisters, everyone's out the front. They send someone in. Can you get him, the old scallywag? Tell him he's got to come back for dinner. Clean up. Your brother, your mother and your sisters are at the door and Jesus looks at the circle around him and says, here is my brothers. Here are my sisters. Here are my mothers. Because anyone who does the will of the Father is my brother, sister, and mother. The story of the New Testament is a story of restoring the family of God to change the world. And Paul writes these words, imagine this family of God that loves like a family. Imagine what they could do to change the world. And that is where God is leading us as a church. And I realize that it's hard. I realize that every one of us, we rage against it and It's part of just the culture that we are immersed in. But I also want to remind you, never leave any good sermon here. I'm not saying this has been good necessarily, but never leave a good sermon just here. Because otherwise, all I've told you is to try a bit harder. And sometimes I wish I could leave sermons like that. Just do better. I'll see you next week. That would be just pure moralism. That would be me just saying do better. And yeah, try. Absolutely. We can all try. We can all commit to doing better. There's a peace we can never forget. We can only respond because of the love we first received. Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know why we live different? We only ever give the love that we've received. If you try and start with just loving harder and trying more, you will get some good results, but you'll have found religion and it won't last very long. But when you experience the agape love of the Father, you're just like John who would pen those beautiful words, wow, what manner of love is this? That we should be called children of God. You only have the capacity to love when you've actually experienced first and foremost the love of the Father. And I want to say in a continuous present tense, constantly filling and being filled by the love of the Father. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. 
Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.